Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Simple. My name is Luis Sanchez. I'm the director of the Simple Church Collective and a host of the Keeping It Simple podcast. And I'm Scott Callantine, co-host of the podcast and resident of the Simple Church Collective. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Keeping It Simple. We are excited for this episode. We have a guest with us, Lucas Poli from the Tampa Underground. And we, uh, if you haven't listened to the episode we recently did with him, go back and, and listen to it. It was released so over good. the summer. Um, that kind of laid out the origin story of the Tampa Underground and some of Lucas's story. But for those of our audience who maybe skipped that episode or aren't going to go back and listen right away, could you just briefly recap a little bit about your story, how you got to the Tampa Underground, and where you're at now? Yeah, so um, I'm right now I'm the executive director of the Underground Network. I live here in Tampa. I'm a part of the Tampa movement, and I was the director of uh, Tampa Underground for about five years. And before that, I was up in uh, east of St. Louis and was uh, uh, helped plant and and develop and direct a network of microchurches up there for about six years. Um, and uh, and yeah, so and I, we started doing that up in Illinois just just within a year or two of me surrendering my life to Jesus. So really this way of being the church is all I've known. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and Lucky. it's, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, we, we, that's how I eventually got connected to the underground and how, you know, where I'm at today. Awesome, dude. Today, what we want to focus our time around is, um, just micro churches, launching healthy micro churches. What is a micro church? That kind of thing, um, and and some common mistakes that disciple makers make when launching new micro expressions. So, just just on a basic level, can you just talk? What is a micro church, and how is that different from like a small group or like um, you know something like a missional community or something like that? Yeah. So we we would say that. Um... A, a micro church it, it satisfies what we have uh, adopted as our local ecclesial minimum, uh, which, which is it's really a theological position investigating the scriptures. What needs to be in place among a people for that thing to inherit this definition of that's a church? You know, uh, so it's like what are the minimum, like like what's the the uh, an, a minimal ecclesiology, um, the church in its simplest form, its most potent form. Um, and so we, we landed in the origin story of, of the underground that the church is when a, uh, an intentional community, um, a family, an extended spiritual family, is surrendered to the leadership of Jesus, mm. like under the reign and being formed by the way of Jesus. So we would say that's community and worship, and they are pursuing together some piece of the mission of God in the world, mission. So um, we would say worship, community, and mission, when those three things intersect, that thing is the church. Um, mm. And that, that means uh, that, that what that does is it helps a group of people embrace a, what we would say is a New Testament imagination for the church, that uh, buildings and budgets and, and um, uh, preaching and certain forms or styles of Bible study and the sacraments. And there, there's a lot of other things that are attached to what we understand as the church, but those things are desired and not required to be the church. They're not bad. They're good, mm-hmm. but they shouldn't, you shouldn't stack all that stuff on top of a person 
who is like initially starting to go out and, and consider planting a church among a people. Um, and so, uh, you know, we would say that those churches can be um, contextualized, uh, autonomous, uh, supported. Um, so the, trying to contrast that understanding of microchurch with small groups and missional communities can be, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do it here in a second, but it can be difficult because you know, words mean different things to different people. So right. yeah. um, it's hard to say generally, here's what everybody everywhere believes a small group sure. is when that's sure, not sure. true um, and sure. missional communities too. So there are some people who use the term missional communities, but the thing that they're doing, we would look at and say, yeah, that's microchurch and we're just calling it different things. Um, mm. But ge- if I'm allowed to generalize briefly, I, I think um, g- generally I see small groups as a subset of a larger church expression for the purpose of relational connection that um the uh, oftentimes small groups are used to troubleshoot a problem that that the larger church expression is not really satisfying people's needs for relationship and connection and so we have small groups for you to to find friends and be in deeper relationship in life uh with believers of course at those small groups you're studying the bible you're doing some discipleship and content but that's t- typically not the main driver the main driver is like relational connection community belonging um but yeah so we we would say the the in those situations the small is serving the big instead of the big serving the small um meaning that uh small groups are a way to help people stay connected to the to the large expression of the church you know we don't want to we don't want to lose people out the back door we want them to stay connected and small groups are optional um if if you got to pick one or the other come to the big thing because if we don't see it the big thing that means you're not a part of the church you know um so it's kind of like a deeper deeper down the rabbit hole thing and um uh, um, now, missional communities, I would say similar, like a subset of a larger church expression for the purpose of forming and activating missionaries, not for the, not necessarily for the purpose of relational connection. So it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's still realizing that this larger church expression is not, it's like troubleshooting. It's like, we're not really activating for people for mission. We're not helping people get engaged in the mission of God in the city. We're not helping them being formed as missionaries. So we need these missional communities to be able to do this. Um, but again, in large part, there's, there's no, often there's no permission given to those missional communities to be the church. Mm. Like they're, they're not necessarily validated unless they are attached to the larger church expression. Um, and again, a lot of times they're an optional way to be involved in a larger church expression, but the larger expression mm-hmm. is still prioritized. Now, again, the, the missional communities thing specifically, I want to be careful about that because there are some there are some people out there that call their thing missional community, and I look at it and I think that is microchurch. Yeah, that is hundred percent microchurch. But in a broad way, I do I do think, unfortunately, I think there is missional community. That terminology specifically over the last ten years. That that terminology, missional communities, has been used so often to just rebrand small groups, and um, so it's kind of hurt it. It's kind of hurt the language because it's yeah. it's kind of like a small group ministry that's like we want to get better at mission, so they just rebrand it as missional communities. Mm. But if you start with community, you never get to mission. You Ooh. have to start with mission, and you always Ooh. find your way to community. Love it. Um, and so that it's it's so again, it's hard to generalize. There's exceptions to all that stuff, but that's how I would. Mm. I would differentiate it. Microchurches, we're basically saying the the big exists to serve the small, not the other way around. Your highest involvement in the church is being involved in a microchurch. 
If you're not a part of a microchurch, you're actually not involved in the citywide movement at all. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you show up at certain things. Um, mm. So the front door is not the big thing on Sunday. The front door is these hundred things across the city. And you might stumble your way into like a bigger gathering on accident or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So talking about the idea of micro churches or we call simple churches, um, just contextually, you know, the name change and that's, that's all good. What are some key hallmarks of a healthy micro church? What are, how do you identify, man, that is a healthy micro church? Yeah. Um, good question because we do, um, so obviously they, we, we need to, we hope to see evidence of them operating fully in the three ecclesial minimums. Like, like we want to see worship. We want to see a community like life on, not see each other once a week and never talk again, like actual life on life community and real like accountable engagement in missionary life. Um, but again, we're, we're letting all of our micro churches kind of contextualize some of those um, like markers of health for themselves. So mm. we don't necessarily have like top down mandates of like, everybody needs to be looking for these like markers of health. They, they each kind of contextually determine some of their own. Um, so it's a little bit difficult, but I would say one thing, there's a, there's a coaching tool that we have that does kind of help identify, like if, if we're meeting with a microchurch and they're like, it just doesn't feel healthy. It doesn't feel quite right. I'm trying to figure out why it doesn't feel quite right or it's not thriving or something like that. It's typically, it's almost always for the same reason. We want to see, we hope to see and train microchurches that they, that, that the microchurch would exist in both modalic and sodalic space. I, and if you don't know that language, just, I'll, I'll, I'll just define it real quick and then I'll use other language. It comes from a guy named Ralph Winter. But modalic space is like, uh, the space where the church is engaging in uh, psychological safety, health, wellness, uh, belonging, community. So it's a lot of times it's like confession, accountability, support, that kind of stuff, the living room. Um, Sodalic space is space of risk and adventure and mission and like getting out of your comfort zone, not feeling safe at all, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Um, really getting out there. Um so a lot of uh, a lot of times the microchurches that are what we would call mission specific microchurches it's a microchurch that is gathered around a specific calling to a specific people group those microchurches find sodalic environments easy because they know like they know who we're reaching and oftentimes they're doing it together um yeah. but but a year down the road they might start feeling like it's not quite right and and when we're coaching them we're, we a lot of times we'll say well does the discipled core or like the believers, do they ever get together to like pray for one another, uh, prophesy, give words of encouragement for one another in like have spaces of confession and accountability around marriage and kids and holiness and that kind of stuff. And they're like, no, we really just go out and do mission constantly. That's really, that's why it feels quite not quite right. You actually need to build in some, what we would call modalic environments. Um, and then more like house churches that we, we would say are distributive or incubator microchurches that are not reaching the exact same pocket of people, but they're, they're empowering and releasing people to go as missionaries to where they live, work, and play, but they're doing so in an, in an accountable community. A lot of times they find the modalic space easy, 
but because they're not all going to the same place at the same time in the same rhythm, they, they start to feel unhealthy and they're like, it's not quite right. I'm not sure. And we, we start to f- help them figure out how to, how the microchurch can live in space of risk and adventure and on the edge of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that uh, um, essentially way back in the, gosh, who knows when, like decades ago, you know, the, 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 the parachurch, the emergence of the parachurch is essentially the church deciding that it was a modalic entity. Like we're just a community. And then the parachurch emerged to basically be the sodalic arm of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes microchurches, when they start, they feel they almost without having the language, they might feel like they have to pick one. Like, and everything they design, everything that they're doing is kind of picking one. And um, we're trying to help people understand you kind of need to have both. You need to have yeah. rhythms in your com- community that touch on both. Um, and you can't flatten the life of your microchurch into one moment, one event per week yeah. that is only one. You, the, the, the microchurch is really like the life of the community over time that's kind of interacting with both those spaces. Um, so I, that's what I, I think when we're coaching with people and we're like, is it healthy? Is it not? A lot of times it's around that conversation. Like, mm. Yeah. Sweet. When we were, when I was down in uh, Tampa, something that you said earlier in the conversation kind of struck me and, and reminded me of something. I forgot who it was and, and you might remember, but something to the idea is like a lot of times we, we, you know, a lot of churches have started with like ecclesiology in mind and thinking that you're eventually going to end up, you know, on mission. But a lot of, you know, this was really, this was actually very pivotal for me just to hear the, the, it said, but if we start with Jesus and then we go with mission and then eventually we get to ecclesiology, like that's, I think the biblical progression of living as disciples of Jesus, instead of going from ecclesiology to, you know, something else, you know? Yeah, you- that's right. Yeah, the new te- yeah, New Testament, a lot of what we see Paul doing in the New Testament, he's not necessarily trying to create like polity or ecclesiological infrastructure for us to take and apply everywhere in all places. Paul throughout the New Testament is doing the work of missional contextualization. I mean, he's he's listening to Jesus, he's going to reach a people so it's like like Christology, like understand Jesus, know Jesus, engage the heart of Jesus, resulting in missiology. I want to go engage the people that Jesus is engaging. I want to go see what God is doing and join in with what God is doing. And on that mission, a, a, a people start to emerge who are starting to follow in the way of Jesus, and you start to kind of develop how does ecclesia make sense for these people in this moment, in this place, on this mission, in submission to this Jesus, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, over time, so, there are there are examples of kind of getting that backward where like we, we kind of really buckle down and close our fist around a way of being the church. And it's like, th- like we, we don't negotiate on this. It's like, you know, tradition or whatever it is. It's like uh, certain cultural beliefs about the church. We just close our fist and we s- try to bolt on mission mm. without being adaptable in our ecclesiology in a way that often doesn't make sense. And, and a lot of times the way that we're bolting on mission has effects of what how we're interpreting and and engaging jesus and the jesus that we're communicating to the world around us 
Right. So it's kind of like a byproduct. It's instead of being the central thing. And um, yeah, this is a, this is a lot of like that that uh, imagination from Alan Hurst that our mis- our uh, we start with our Christology, which gives birth to our missiology, and our missiology necessitates an, an adaptive ecclesiology. Well, um, and so that's why, that's why things around here, like all the microchurches, are wild and weird and wonderful and but they're changing (laughs) all the time they're changing all the time when people ask us like what are the what's a standard rhythm for microchurch it's like well we've got 100 microchurches so we've got 100 different rhythms or expectations or and whatever however i answer that question now if you answer if you ask me that question two years from now there a lot of them are different um Mm. because they are incarnationally engaged and missionally focused and adapting a little bit the rhythms and makeup of the who, who it is that they are in the life of the church. You're talking about um, man, a hundred a hundred micro churches. That's a lot. So right now you have about a hundred micro churches in the Tampa Underground. And like I said earlier, we want to focus on um, you know launching new micro churches and what that what what that's like. But can you tell us about maybe some mistakes you know that that people make? common mistakes that people make when launching new micro expressions? Yeah. Um, I may probably the main one is, uh, us, you know, aspiring micro church leaders that are trying, that are missionally motivated, trying to get something off the ground. Probably the biggest mistake that we see, there's several, but maybe the main one that we see the most often is people who start organizationally instead of with human beings. (laughs) So, uh, people who they they kind of think of, you know, they have a dream of like reaching a pocket of people and like having like a a a dim- like a powerful, creative expression of the church among that people, and they start thinking about what would we, what what would, what should we call it and names and <laughs> logos, and then they talk to the media team about logos and branding, and then they make a Facebook page, and then they're thinking about a website, and they're like thinking about the budget of like like all these things that they want to do. How much is all that thing, all that stuff going to cost? And then they design a budget, and then they're thinking about fundraising. Well, how am I going to raise the funds to do these things that I that I hope to do someday? And they haven't met one person. <laughs> like they haven't <laughs> in, like gone and engaged one human being. Right. Um, and typically the biggest breakdown between microchurches that like launch well and develop well over time and the ones that don't are the, just the ones that start small with one or two human beings and develop sort of incrementally versus the people who start out with this huge vision and build it out organizationally and try to raise a bunch of money for it or something when they haven't met one person. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think that's probably the biggest mistake, like folks reaching and we, we've learned, you know, we're really open handed and, and we're not wanting to like, sh- we're really hesitant to like shut stuff down and tell people no, because it's contextualization. They're the leader and we're going to let them make a whole lot of mistakes because if we prevent them from making those mistakes, we actually hijack some of their learning and development. Um, so there's a lot of mistakes we'll just let people make and we'll take a step back. But that's one that we're really starting to get there and be like. When you ask us for media services or financial services, or you want an office, or you want to like talk about branding or logo or social media consultation, and you haven't actually really gone on about like incarnating and finding proximity and presence and proclamation among unreached and lost people, 
we're not going to make that logo for you. <laughs> go, go, go and like learn the name right. of one we'll person. People. Yeah. We'll go the learn the name and the story of one person in the group of people to whom you feel sent. And then we'll talk about a logo, yeah. you know, like, um, that's, that's probably the biggest one. Yeah. No. Mm. Would you be willing to share a either high or low, like a, a success or a, maybe a, a challenge or failure, like a story of, so people can begin to envision this is happening? Um, you can change names. We'll protect the innocent. My own. We'll protect I was trying, the innocent. <laughs> I was trying to think of my own stories, like things that I've done that were like, so that I, I don't have to change names and stories. <laughs> I just share my own failures. Um, yeah, we, uh, uh, several years back, we were doing, uh, I was with a community that was doing homeless, uh, homeless ministry, homeless outreach. And we were, it wasn't like, bring dinner out once a week to the, like the mandate of the of the uh, community that I was a part of the microchurch that we were a part of the mandate on us like the calling from the lord was to be family with the poorest in our city um so we were doing like some uh, street street dinner banquets and um uh we we were doing all kinds of things but the those were not the goal like feeding people was not the goal um, the, the, uh, uh, providing coats in the winter was not the goal. Providing socks was not the goal. Visiting people in jail was not the goal. The goal was family. Um, and these were just mechanisms to get there. And eventually we did become family and we were like on a, like a first name basis and custom high fives and all this kind of stuff with like custom everybody. Hey, that's right. Everybody in custom the streets, man. <laughs> steal that. So, you know, we, so then we were like, okay, what is this? What's the next level of like making disciples among this community? People are spiritually open. They're asking questions. Um, so we decided to have like a weekly um, discovery Bible study in our living room at, at our like apartment complex that I was in at the time. It's like a little town, townhouse. Um, and it gets some, a lot of them knew where it was cause we had stuff at our house before and we had housed people in our house before if they were like, were doing reentry from the prison and like they could spend a few days at our house wherever. So they knew where, where it was. And the thought process behind that was like spending a, an evening doing like a discovery Bible study in our house would be maybe like a reprieve from the streets. So like, it would be like a gift to them. So yeah, again, you, we have all, we're thinking the right way, all that kind of stuff, but it just didn't work out. It, it you know, they, um, the turnout people weren't interested it turnout was low um the people who were coming at the beginning kind of stopped coming it was fizzling the conversation how'd the conversation wasn't nearly as- how'd, how'd your wife feel about it <laughs> she that's, was happy man she was happy. <laughs> that's the she question. Was happy. <laughs> and i think i think what we started to realize is that well, we had all the right reasons well the right intentions or whatever but essentially um we were inviting it was kind of like we were being we were a microchurch that was trying to do an attractional strategy mm. it was like come leave your context leave your environment and come join our world wow like we're instead of us coming to you and having this kind of like communal mm. moment in your ecosystem you have to leave who you are and come be, be to where we are and become a part of where we are and our apartment complex, which is not where you live. And it feels different than where you live. And, mm. 
I, so again, we had the right re- like well, not the right reasons, but like we were thinking about it. It wasn't a flippant thing, but our reasons were flawed. And as soon as we changed, we pivoted the strategy to what we started calling street church, and we started doing that like discovery Bible study in front yards, in the neighborhoods where they already were, in locations that they were very familiar with, where they felt like we were meeting them in their it was no longer attractional. It was incarnational. It's like yeah, we yeah. come in and, and we're with you. Um, and so everything started popping off. And, the, you know, they're, it's very, very like vibrant conversation, lots of openness to Jesus, lots of engagement. And eventually over time, we moved into those na- neighborhoods. We moved out of the apartments and we, we found houses in those neighborhoods just to be close for, for many years. So good. That that brings to memory a couple of things. I don't know if it was in micro churches or wherever I read this, but um a couple of things like the average span of a micro church is about 18 months, right? That's that's yeah, what about I two right now, like about two years, two to two and a half okay. years. Yeah, so close. Yep. yep. So so last last I heard was that. And then the second thing that I was gonna say is um it sounds like you guys were I I love the language of like keep trying different things. And you said this earlier, I don't know if it was the earlier podcast or what, but like when something works, just hold it loosely. Right. Because it, it, it might not work in another season. And so like keep, or, or on the flip side, if something doesn't work, then, Hey, don't be afraid to try something new. Keep trying things until you find what works. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and even when we're trying to think through, like even the question of like, hey, could you tell some stories of microchurches that didn't do well or microchurches that did, that did well? It's kind of a hard question for us because we just we just don't typically avail uh, um, assess things in terms of like success or failure because of output goals. We we're always assessing th- things in terms of faithfulness. So. A microchurch leader could have done extremely well, started mm. well, was totally faithful. That's good. But they just didn't find a person of peace or there was just no spiritual openness or – and that's outside their control. So it's like that's a raging success. That person found proximity and presence among among people, was trying to explore spiritual conversation. There wasn't a lot of openness. They were committed. They were attuned to the Holy Spirit. They were connected. And the ones that that – and sometimes they there uh, uh, there are things that that look successful, microchurches that look successful, but it was because God did something despite a bad leader, you know. Like, mm. um, so so you know, glory. So it's hard. yeah, right. So glory. So sometimes it's hard for us, uh, but a lot of times, like you're saying, we would say, a, like, whether or not a microchurch is a good start or develops well or doesn't, really comes down to the. A, adaptability and responsiveness and the anti-fragility of the leader like um a leader that uh, a microchurch that, that, that doesn't was so good do well yeah a, a microchurch leader that doesn't do well often just comes down to a leader who could not um uh, uh, travail a, a little bit of adversity they couldn't pivot they closed mm-hmm. their fist they closed their fist early on around an idea and it wasn't working, and they could, they just couldn't open their hand to consider another way, and they just thought, "I quit. This this must I must yeah. not be called to this or something," and they move on. Or they actually realize that the that they they thought they were called to do a thing, but sometimes people don't understand. Like there's there's gnarly motives wrapped up in there, and they're mm. they weren't really called. They had some weird motives, and that gets unearthed, you know, in the startup phase. That mm. that comes out. Um, 
And they, but again, that doesn't mean they have to quit. It just means you, you can like return to the prayer closet and do some repentance and return to intimacy with the Lord and listen again, listen anew. It doesn't mean you have to, to run away and fail, but sometimes that, that pushes people out of the game, um, running into themselves. Uh, mm. So, wow. So for those uh, who are listening, who might be considering starting a simple church here in the greater Seattle area, what are a few key things that they need to think through or, you know, a word of advice from you would be blank and, and kind of what would, what do they have to pay attention to? Yeah. Um, I would definitely spend some time uh, trying to discern what the Lord calling, um, you know, and that's, that's, uh, and maybe not even try to do that in isolation, but try to do that in community, like include yeah. others. Um, mm -hmm. and calling, calling is this thing where it's like, it's, it's not like you become a follower of Jesus and then you don't, you don't have a calling until God clarifies it. The moment, like we were, we were talking about on the previous episode, we were talking about priesthood of all believers. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus, you're already called. It's, it's, you don't have to wonder about that to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit everywhere where you live, work, and play, and you discover openness. Like that's, you already have that call. You don't have to wonder about that. But what, so that's like a broad sphere. And I, what, when we say calling, we just mean sometimes over time, the Lord is going to, to tighten or narrow that sphere where the great commission is lived out. To, and he'll like put his thumb on your neighborhood or he'll put his thumb on your bowling league or he'll put his thumb on your break room at your job. And he'll say, he'll say, these are the people. This is the place where I want you. But even when you're not sure about that, it's not like you sit around and dilly dally and wait for him to clarify that, you know. Um, so I would start to maybe discern calling a little bit. And, and a part of how I would do that is even thinking a little bit about how God has wired you. That's the Ephesians 2. Like God has. God made you, wired you, crafted you with a work for you in mind. So part of how you can discern that is like what a, your gifts, your passions, how you're wired, your testimony, experiences you have that give you a unique voice or access to a population of people that other people might not have. So, um, so I, I'd like discern some of that stuff prayerfully, ask the Lord if, 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 it's in his, if it's in his good and perfect will to tighten some of the scope of your disciple-making efforts mm. to a, a group of people. Um, and, it, and if he does, and there's a community around that that confirms and affirms that, like, yeah, that sounds right, um, then it's all about incarnation at that point. And we, we try to help people use the, the four Ps of incarnation, uh, proximity, presence powerlessness and proclamation. So you have a people that you feel called to. The first thing is proximity. Are you show, are you around those people ever? Mm. So before you expect to be best friends with those people, you just have to be around them. So right. how are you going to establish proximity around those people mm. with some kind of regularity? Go to that coffee shop every Tuesday and Thursday morning. Be in that break room. Don't get, go eat out, eat lunch out of the office. If you're called to the to that floor of your tower, eat lunch in the break room every day. Pack your lunch. Um, be there. Get proximity. Okay, you have proximity. What's next? How do I establish presence? How do I leverage that proximity for actual relationship with people? Um, when I have presence with people, like I have real relationship with people, how do I find ways to be powerless with them? 
like um that that's a that's a, a pull toward mutuality so it's like instead of me coming and thinking i have all the answers i'm here to serve all the time part of how you build mutuality is you say i need to be helped by you too like i i i come in in a powerless way um in this in this relationship and that all paves the way for proclamation so it's helping people okay calling and it's starting with this is all starting with human beings right like don't jump to the logo <laughs> don't That's jump right. to the don't, don't jump, jump to the website to the logo. <laughs> yeah but it's like Okay, is there how is there calling? Make a layup. Don't, don't, don't shoot yeah. from the logo. <laughs> correct, right? correct. Let's make a layup. Yeah, like it is calling narrowed a little bit, whether or not it is. You're just trying to find people where you live, work, and play, or if it's narrowed to one of those spheres, it. it's trying to discern how do I really embed mm-hmm. among those people um, and create avenues for openness and conversation. So I think that's yeah. a that's a that's a it's like we don't actually the seek the little secret here, guys, is nobody goes to plant a microchurch. I don't plant microchurches. Nobody in Tampa Underground plants microchurches. We plant we go as missionaries and we plant the gospel. Let's and go. we see if it might be in God's mm-hmm. good and perfect world uh, will for a church to emerge, which is up to him, not me. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Man, this conversation is awesome, dude. Appreciate it. Got a little bit of Jeff Vanderstelt in there. Got a little bit of all that. We love Jeff. Jeff is like, I love our, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, man. So such good stuff. Um, man, so much to think through. I love that secret. We don't plant the churches. Jesus does that. You know, he said he he's going to grow the church, right? He's going to, how do we be faithful in our neighborhoods and networker relationships? And how do we just, Love people well. Lucas, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today, man. Tell us a little bit about how people can stay connected to you, to your work. Um, and yeah. Um, you can just, if you're just looking to like generally find more information, uh, tampaunderground.com or undergroundnetwork.org. We've got you know stuff you can read or stuff you can, resources you can look at. If you want to go beyond just information and you want to like have a conversation with us, we'd love to just connect with people. You can email us, um, lucas at tampaunderground.com or lucas at undergroundnetwork.org. We could get on a Zoom. We could talk. It's all good. Um, uh, And beyond that, if you're like, I don't want to just talk. I want to come see it. I want to hang out. I want to be in Tampa. I want to be in Florida. Just come visit. We host people all the time. Just come do like an immersive experience. Bring your family. Do a vacation. Perfect. Lucas, love the work that you guys are doing. Uh, So inspirational from afar. Uh, God bless you and God bless uh, the work of your guys' hands down in Tampa. Peace. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you'd like to support us more, check out our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash keeping it simple podcast. If not, we'd love your support through subscribing, sharing episodes, and liking and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come.